0: Bitcoin just pushed through $45,000. Once again, we are so back, baby. I don't know if we're back, baby, or if we're so back, baby. But in reality, we're just ranging. It is good to see Bitcoin going up. But we had to talk about it because the title says Bitcoin's massive pump. Here's why it's not too late to buy. We will talk about that, but it's just not a massive pump. I don't know what we're doing sometimes when we make these titles. I don't. Maybe we think that people are going to show up more if we say the words massive and pump. Uh, But anyways, we are going to talk about Bitcoin's move, and we are definitely going to talk a lot about the tokenization of real-world assets because we have one of my favorite guests, Sid Powell, here from Maple. He's come on and discussed this a lot. We're going to talk about what that narrative is going to mean in the future, whether we're still really early on that, what's happening with it, all those things. Of course, we got chart guys on the back half to probably talk about what's actually happening with the Bitcoin price, which is currently 45,118. It keeps going up. I can't even keep up, guys. It's going up. Let's have a great show. What is up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, also known as the Wolf of Wall Street. Before we get started, please subscribe to the channel and smash that like button. I said smash. That one just came out. That was some side of Freudian slip. I have a general disposition against saying smash the like button because it makes me feel like those other YouTubers. Guys, if you didn't know, I have ADHD. And if you ever want to see ADHD in person, just listen to whatever I just said in that intro uh, anytime. And we can do the dictionary definition that was wild. Things just started coming out of my mouth. Didn't even know what I was going to say. And uh, here we are, $45,120. i am going to go ahead and bring Sid on. Dude, massive, massive pump. Did you see it in the title? It's massive.
1: <laughs> I, I did see it. it. Was what brought me on here.
0: <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't have even showed up if we hadn't had this uh, massive pump. But Bitcoin is looking good here. I think probably... We're soaking up the final remnants of the GBTC selling by any major, you know, uh, any major sort of uh, selling. There is slowed to a trickle, and now I think we're going to start mm-hmm. to see, you know, the uh, actual inflows to these ETFs. I don't know if that's what's happening here, but it seems pretty fundamental this time that we can actually see inflows and outflows for the first time.
1: Yeah, it was it was definitely interesting. Once the so once the ETF was approved, one of the weird side effects that we saw was. A lot more demand to borrow BTC, so we actually saw people clearing loans, kind of, clo- you know, close to or above ten percent uh, in BTC yield for about, uh, you know, two to four weeks afterwards, which is pretty interesting. Like, if you look at um, where BTC lending rates typically are, uh, you know, normally it's like low to mid single digits. So the, the ETF did have a big impact on like borrowing and lending markets for for a little while at least.
0: Why do you think that that is? I mean, what's the explanation just that people generally believe it's going to go up so it's safer than to take a loan against it and have it locked up and you don't have, you know, not the big threat of a huge uh, event where it drops and then all of a sudden you're margin called and...
1: A little bit. I mean, longer longer term, what you'd, what you'd think the impact is going to be is that having ETFs at, you know, custodians like JP Morgan and Fidelity is gonna make it easier to borrow margin loans against those assets. And is gonna hurt like, you know, the rate of lending against BTC. But what we actually saw was people were borrowing to close the arbitrage. So you could borrow, you could lend out BTC at like 10% to market makers who were gonna close the arb on the GBTC trade. And so that was tied in with a lot of the selling that you were seeing there as people were, were trying to exit as it was approaching, um, you know, approaching one-to-one and a lot of that you know there were a lot of good funds who had been buying that at a discount over the last 12 months and so they saw BTC appreciation and the discount flows so they made you know they made a killing on that trade
0: yeah gbtc was the trade of the year no question yeah. and if you were actually taking advantage of that to do even more sort of significant arbitrage trades, as you said, and and there were just a lot of ways to make a hell of a lot of money on that. And it was naturally going to wind down. I think we saw CME futures interest that were the hedges probably mm-hmm. against that trade, that open interest dropped massively when the discount yeah. finally closed and the ETFs were approved. So to your point, uh, we're still going to see people, I think, exiting GBTC, but that huge bulk of it was the trade. I wonder what yeah. the new trade is. What is? Is there a new trade now? Like we used, we had the Widowmaker cash and carry trade when GBTC was at a premium, right? And then we had the discount yeah. trade bringing it back to zero. I think the GBTC trades are gone. Maybe there's some arbitrage with other ETFs, but I don't think that's huge.
1: I, I think you're right. I, I think that one's gone. The the you know the, the big CFI trades. The, there's not any major ones that we're hearing about. But the the big ones that are coming through are these kind of restaking. Um, you know, restaking and, and like delegated staking. So eigenlayer airdrops. And and, and so the narrative shifted to, a, to being around ETH. So people are looking to either lend or borrow ETH ahead of these anticipated airdrops and, and the kind of the yields from restaking. So
0: wait, people are borrowing ETH so that they can stake it and then restake it in eigenlayer. That sounds very last cycle-ish. <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> his, his history doesn't repeat but it how, certainly rhymes. how many
0: times can i uh, utilize this eth to get yield on how many different levels it's I'm sure it's yeah I'm well
1: sure i think that's great. that's where the leverage is going to come for this next cycle is, is from a lot of these restaking platforms and then that will bring yield whether that's from tokens or, or something else but you know, that it, it's it's always some form of leverage that begets each, you know, each cycle in this space. And so, you know, I think we're just seeing the early innings of that new one, but people are, people have been borrowing ETH at north of 30% in anticipation of getting an airdrop.
0: Just like buying a Solana phone.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. This exactly. airdrop, this airdrop cycle is blowing my mind. I mean, we've had, I, I don't track it too closely, but obviously Jupiter, there was another one a day or two ago on Solana, a couple, and these these are airdropping and then trading at like multi billion dollar valuations. It's yeah, like, I'm- like it's literally like we we launch a platform and it's worth more than Levi Strauss five minutes later that it happened.
1: <laughs> I think. I mean, I, I look at the airdrops as you know somebody's somebody's on the borrowing and lending side, and I think if there's some kind of market to be done there, if you know people are going to borrow assets to collect the airdrops, or for tokens who are going public, if they could use. You know the the impending public token as, as collateral of some kind. Um, I think it's still early days. Like there there's kind of a lot to to observe and in, in, in the new market structure. But it's it's it has been fascinating. This is this is what we're seeing is kind of the early innings of a new bull market. And and this is um, it's pulling capital out of lending and borrowing because people lending and borrowing in in a regular sense because people are looking to go. Farm airdrops, buy the dip, get exposure to market meter. But all, all together, it's been a total shift from what we saw in 2023, which was people wanted conservative yields. Now people are definitely going risk on again.
0: Yeah. The good news is that in DeFi, generally, the liquidations are orderly. It's not like the CeFi collapses in the past. And I think that people still just hear yield and get triggered. But uh, generally in DeFi, outside of, you know, uh, exploits or the other things, the the protocols have generally hummed along very well and actually managed this.
1: Yeah, generally pretty good. Generally, risk management has been pretty good. There was... The kind of the preemptive issue with CRV and, and the, the Curve Token founder being, you know, just that, that it was a massive concentration issue. So, um you know, somebody, a single party had 50% of the tokens and pledged them across a bunch of protocols, but had, you know, over $100 million of debt outstanding. So, I mean, that's a fairly conventional credit issue, but DeFi seemed to get ahead of it fairly well. And there was a good coordinated effort to kind of manage his exposure
0: down. DeFi got ahead of it by a whole bunch of really rich people buying tokens from him to make sure it didn't collapse the whole market. But yeah, that, that, right. And we forget yeah. about that the fact that that happened. And then even the did it, it then CRV, I believe, dropped back down to the discounted price that all the yes. people had bought yeah. it at. And so then yeah. there was fear that they were going to unwind that as well. Yeah, but,
1: yeah. which yeah yeah i mean there are certainly parallels in that that loan right and you know like an FT, like a loan to ftt ftx against ftt similar similar corollary right like like if the founder defaults is the crv token really worth that much if it's dependent on his his efforts in in terms of developing so but you know it just shows the highlight it i suppose it highlights some of the similarities that we still have between cfi and defi do you
0: think that uh there were lessons learned from that that certain assets shouldn't be used for collateral or at least only in very small percentages of the total supply I'm taking 50% 100%. of yeah i mean listen there's, there's you nothing do that it works. on one protocol no single protocol yeah. would have taken that risk right so it was spread across multiple lending pools uh, you know he he knew what he was doing to make sure that he could utilize yeah. all of it so that well, my two mansions in australia if i remember correctly
1: yeah in the second sense it was spread across multiple protocols, but in the first it was predominantly on two or three. Um, Uh, But I think people seem to learn their lesson in in that it was then banned as an asset or or significantly pared back as an asset on on Aave. So you know, everything ultimately comes down, like nothing works in principle at infinite scale, which is you can lend over collateralized, but if you have almost all the asset as your collateral, you're never gonna be able to liquidate it. And so I think that was just the principle everyone learned there.
0: Okay, is unsecured lending back
1: it's going to come back I think in a different you know in a in a in a different form, so you're already seeing like unsecured lending picked up again um in you know the first month of the year, so you know clearpool is is doing unsecured lending they they've got about twenty three to twenty five mil outstanding um, we're getting a ton of inbound from market maker borrowers who want to take out unsecured loans now pricing on this has gone really high, so pricing here is probably in the 15 to 18%, sorry, 15 to 20% range. And that's just because there's no market at below that rate or very little, there's very little um, supply of capital where you'd lend it out at, you know, 12, 13%. Uh, But the the other thing that we're seeing here is people, you know, people are learning the lessons of last time. So there's a big emphasis on diversification. So you wouldn't have, uh, you know, one market maker borrower being, you know, Let's say more than like 10% of your outstanding loans. But the other the other thing is using escrow accounts. So things like BitGo's Go Network as yeah. you know a clearinghouse to settle to make sure they can't take the assets out, using off-exchange settlement through Fireblocks, through Copper, through Zodia. Um, and also using DeFi versions of these, whether it's fractal or Arcus or Definitive is another one. But all of these kind of control what the market makers can do with the assets or at least limit where they can place them. And so it's an example of of kind of risk mitigation to enable this to come back again. But it's worth noting, you're not going to have a really strong bull market unless the market makers have inventory and they, they have, have to, to get it from somewhere and that will be yeah. from from lending and borrowing.
0: Yeah, they can't, they obviously can't own it all. So you guys had kind of big news and I want to switch to RWA first with treasury bills, but then a bit more about the actual future of RWA. Obviously, I think there was a hundred million dollar pool. If I remember correctly, is that accurate that you guys had opened this effectively with one hedge fund and they're buying treasury bills really safe one month, super liquid treasury bills. Yeah. It to, to, did I it, summarize that correctly? It, and I want to know, I want an update on that because let me yeah. just jump in because we even talked about this before. I always open this RWA.xyz and I like, yeah. I remember being like, we've got almost a billion in tokenized treasury bills. And I looked again today and it's like, we have almost a billion in tokenized
1: treasury bills. Yeah. The numbers really yeah. haven't gone up here. It's, um yeah. And and, and that's a great dashboard by, by RWA.xyz. So I use that one a lot. But what we've seen is that. It's it's basically it's basically flatlined over the last month. So we launched that product, you know, middle of last year around May. Um, we saw a significant amount of interest, and and it really grew strongly to about forty mil within the first one to two months. Um, but since then, there have been a ton of other people come into the space. It's very competitive. You can see there's probably more than a dozen protocols doing it now, and the pricing is really fifteen to twenty five bips. So you can't charge a ton on it. But oh, we're seeing money. so we're seeing the space get very crowded. And unfortunately, what's happening is that as the market is starting to move upwards, people are finding T-bills less exciting. And so they're starting to, as we said, you know, they're going to buy risk on assets. They're going into Solana. They're going into altcoins. They're doing airdrop strategies. Um, And that's that's why that chart hasn't really moved in about one month. In terms of the that, isn't cycles. that
0: echoed? I mean, that's also echoed in the stock market. That's not a crypto. That's nothing unique yeah. to crypto. As the yields go down, stocks go up. People are buying yeah. Apple yeah. and Nvidia and Meta, and they're less interested in bonds. That that bond narrative was last year. It was the time to yes. park your money and wait. And now everybody's risk on once again.
1: All in all, markets. yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. And, you know, the, the expectation is coming up towards, you know, a November election that you would want to hold risk on assets in anticipation of rate cuts, um, potentially a change in administration. And that, you know, that's what we're hearing across the board from VCs, high net worths, um, in terms of appetite there. As, and as you said, it's kind of reflecting and mirroring in the traditional markets with, uh, with stocks and equities.
0: Yeah, we've been waiting, I think, for financial advisors and RIAs and all of them to sort of turn on the tap with the Bitcoin spot ETFs here. You know, I, I think we've talked it to death, but these things aren't really available to that many people. But we're starting to see a lot of articles yeah. and opinion pieces saying that actually for financial advisors, real-world assets could be a safer path to crypto. Yeah. So tokenized real-world assets, this study, I believe, says, there you go, $4 trillion, somewhere between $4 trillion and $16 trillion worth by 2030. That's really not that yeah. far away. But, uh, you know, what's the comparison here as TradFi gets a hold of this and really starts to look at it as an investable asset class?
1: Well, I I think eventually they will look at it it as an investable asset class. But one of the problems is that the RIA who goes to his high net worth client and says, I want to put you into um, reward assets and crypto is getting told by the client that they want an extra two to three hundred basis points. So two to three percent yield versus the conventional asset. Which of course becomes impossible if you're taking the same asset from TradFi and then packaging it and putting it on chain. It can't, you know, you, you can't bridge that yield disparity unless you're starting to do like a token liquidity mining program or something. So I would expect to see that from some of the new RWA protocols coming out. Um, but that that has been the challenge is that the clients are saying, well, I can go to Morgan Stanley and get a structured note for 15%. So why do I want your private credit on chain for 13%? And um, that that is something that we faced in, in talking to our clients. And that's why we kind of this year are are focusing more on the crypto native lending. So whether that's secured, secured against altcoins, um, or through like some kind of prime broker mechanism, but we're we're just seeing more appetite for which I think to be successful in the lending space this year, you have to have some product that hits, you know, 15% or higher and and has to do with crypto native borrowers.
0: Yeah that that makes sense. Are we going to see yields that yeah. high that are safe?
1: Well, um I think it it depends. And so the the answer is like as as uh trading activity picks up, market makers will be making more more money. And so they could do prime broker structures where they're paying north of 15%. If they're making, you know, north of 30% on their own trading activity. So it does very much depend, it all comes back to again, what are volumes coming in from kind of retail on the centralized exchanges. Um, but also, the other thing is, if you're if you're expecting to get an airdrop that is going to net you 50%, well, you'll probably pay 15% or 20% to borrow the funds to do that. So that's, that's, as I alluded to earlier, that's the other source of, of the yield that's coming through. Um, yeah, How I'm just curious
0: how many like we talk about these airdrop hunters, isn't this a very small, like very crypto native population that's doing all of this? I mean, this is this is our own washing machine and our own people that yes. are taking advantage of these things. But this is not any sort of like real adoption, I, I guess. Is how no,
1: I it, 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 it is a smaller segment of the market. But if you look back to what happened the last cycle, again, it was as these prices started to go up and as these perceived yields um, from market neutral strategies went up, that was what introduced, like that was what brought a lot of TradFi money in, into yield funds, into, you know, into um, providing funds to market makers the last cycle. And ultimately, we do need to, we, we need to see something bring people in from outside crypto into the market. And at the moment, that the most exciting narrative around that is... Restate like restaking of assets, airdrops. I like tokenization of real world assets, but I feel that at the moment, most of that narrative is actually being pushed by the issuers. So, the KKRs, the Hamilton Lanes, the people who are tokenizing funds for them, and then also the consulting firms who will get paid to come up with tokenization programs. So, you can see that McKinsey's going to make a ton of money when so and so wants to tokenize, you right. know, a billion dollars worth of assets but the, the the missing piece has been there are no buyers on the other side because crypto degens don't want a private equity firm in a tokenized format on chain you know and and and, and that's that's really that's really been the blocker for adoption is the lack of crypto native buyers for kkr hamilton lane and um you know and and, and blackstone funds on chain what i like is kind of flipping this and going how could you raise a fund off-chain to invest it in on-chain credit strategies and that's where i that's what i think is is a really interesting angle for this year
0: and we have larry fink talking about tokenizing everything which doesn't hurt
1: yeah and they have an incredible sales force so we can you know those of us in the space can kind of ride those coattails to him selling to family offices and pension funds and endowments this idea of tokenization let's just hope it doesn't turn out like the esg narrative
0: yeah, exactly. He, he, he won't even listen to the letters ESG anymore in an interview. It's hilarious. And he's the one who created <laughs> them. But uh, I want to talk about also so uh, the idea of sort of cross-chain DeFi, because I think right now we still have sort of siloed TVL in all of these chains, and they're not really mm-hmm. interacting. I literally, in my newsletter this morning, I just took a look at ranking chains by TVL. I didn't realize, I mean, still, Ethereum is over two-thirds, of yeah. uh, TVL, as much as we talk about what's happening on Solana or any of these other chains, it's still largely dominant on Ethereum. How do we start to get this to operate cross-chain, so we're not siloed off in these different pools of TVL that really, you know, we we're not big enough that we can have them in different buckets, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I I, I tend to agree. I mean, we get pitched a lot this this idea of cross-chain. You know, take Maple cross-chain, put the pools on other chains. Um, you know, in any given week, we probably get a half a dozen pitches on that. And so I I think it suggests that it's a sector that people are very focused on. But as you said, it's very hard for an application to justify going cross chain unless there's liquidity there. So I think what they really need to focus on is bridges, getting stable coins on, and then it makes it more attractive for other protocols to go there. But as I alluded to before, Scott, this is what is going to drive a bunch, a ton of airdrops over the next 12 months is each of those chains has to get dollars on there. And what will bring dollars is airdrops in in the native token of those L1s and L2s and, uh, you know, and or the bridge providers as well. I'm not going to get into
0: the de- debate whether these are helicopter money or not. We could talk about that.
1: Another yeah, time. We, we, we can leave that for another time. But that that is the big problem that all these L2s face is how do they attract protocols? To attract a protocol, you have to have liquidity. To attract liquidity, you have to have protocols. And so they really chicken face this chicken and egg. Dilemma. Exactly, exactly. We are on Solana and base and the growth on base has probably been below what we would have wanted to see. You could, you also look at the ranking of protocols, and I think the top ones maybe like 100 mil. Um, and then you have a very quick sort of power law tapering off. Um, interestingly, Solana, our Solana cash management pool is actually about the same size, slightly larger even than our one on Ethereum. So that that is pretty interesting in terms of seeing that developers like an organic uh DeFi ecosystem i think the airdrops will also help like solana has definitely got probably more than its fair share of airdrops coming in yeah. the next uh, 6 months and that will probably bring a lot of you know a lot of stable point activity there
0: so what are you planning then for 20 we got 4 minutes left 2024 obviously we saw kind of what you did in 2023 we had the treasury bill narrative was huge now if those are sort of uh, you know becoming less interesting what do you build uh, you know in anticipation of this bull market we're all sort of expecting
1: you, you, you got to have a suite of products across different risk return profiles. And so we have uh, what, what the one that we launched late last year was uh, secured lending. And so that, you know, has done probably like 40 mil of originations currently sits at about 25. And that one's kind of a replacement, you know, it, it, it's sort of V2 of what Genesis was doing the last cycle, which was over collateralized lending, but with reduced risk by using custodians, so that's like your that's at the lower risk. So you've got T bills, then you've got that, then you have uh, things like prime broker lending, which would be where you lend to market makers, but you're controlling liquidations. You have them tip in some equity, and then you have the higher risk stuff, which I'll leave people with a little bit of suspense, which is we're we're not ready to announce what we've got there yet, but it's going to have to do with newer token projects, and what we're interested in is you know the use of tokens as Either a collateral or, or, you know, some kind of convertible mechanism, and I think that is what we think is going to interest a lot of tradfi investors coming into the space. So that's kind of crypto, broadly the theme is crypto native this year in 2024.
0: So it's we're still early. <laughs> that, we're still early. What, yes. we're still early. Okay. So when do we uh, when do we get the uh, the flood of tradfi in interested in these products? Is that this cycle or are we next cycle?
1: I think I think it's this cycle because if you look, there's a lot of there's a lot more infrastructure there. So you've got a lot of you know you've got, you've got a pretty developed custodial ecosystem, which all of these by players I expect will use. You've also got m- um, more stablecoin options and more robust stablecoin options. I mean, you know, Tether is now pushing 100 bill. Um, Circle is you know approaching an IPO. Um, so stablecoins are much better understood now, and so I think that will be the path for institutions to come in. And then you have um, You know, if you look at Coinbase's product suite, they have custody, they have the wallet, they have, um, uh, you know, institutional coverage, and they're increasingly leaning on tokenization. So, I just think a lot of the foundational elements required for institutions to come in are are there this cycle, and so I think this cycle, not next one.
0: I'll take that. So uh, everybody, you can follow Sid Syrup Sid, right? It's the best name on Syrup Sid on Twitter. Maple (laughs) Syrup Sid, guys. You get it, right? So I I highly recommend that you follow him on the uh, Twitter X, call it what you want. Uh, Where else
1: can people find you or check out Maple? They can check out some uh, maple.finance is the website. You can sign up um, there. We're also pretty active. So um, at Maple Finance on Twitter, and then we have a Telegram channel, which you can access through through the Twitter page. But uh, yeah, anyone who has any questions, reach out.
0: Awesome, man. Love what you guys are doing. Thanks as always for joining. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Scott. Later, Sid. Yeah, guys, while we were looking, there was one piece of news I wanted to share, which is kind of crazy. If you guys remember, the big narrative of the last cycle was this, or previous to the, I guess, two cycles ago, backed. Guys, remember, crypto firm backed. you're going to buy coffee at Starbucks with your crypto, and they were backed by the New York Stock Exchange and first publicly traded, and they're apparently going out of business. So I guess uh, we're just seeing the uh, dinosaurs who led the way and advanced the ball. Maybe they're going to uh, fail where others will uh, succeed. Moving on, we got Bitcoin tops 44K with whale accumulation suggesting conviction and more price gains. We don't need to look at articles. We know that the price says it's over 25, uh, 45K right now, way over 25. And I've got Dan, the chart guy, to join and talk about it. What do you make of this Bitcoin move, man?
2: It's a good one for the bulls. Yeah, we had a really tight range. And if there's one thing that technical analysis can help us with, it's to know volatility is coming. You know, you look at the daily chart for Bitcoin, it was sideways for about two weeks. And you look back and say, "Okay, this is the tightest it's been in months. We know a break of this range is coming, whether it's bull or bear. And volume and volatility are going to accompany that. And so, of course, it's a bull break. We get some nice follow through. If you are going to be buying bull breaks in crypto, you know, there was a time when you buy an, a bull break and it follows through 10%. We're obviously not there anymore. But if I'm going to be buying a bull break, it's got to be a really tight range breaking bull just exactly like this. So nice leg up weekly time frame Now bounce retracement is to the golden pocket. And what that does is. You know, it increases the probability where even if we fail the the recent high initially, we're going to look for a weekly higher low compared to the recent low at 38.5 thousand. So uh, it gives the bulls a nice cushion to work with. And there are certainly no red flags. The question that we have now is, you know, are we going straight to a higher high, which would need more bull volume to show up if that's going to happen? Or do we tighten up through February? And that's the information that we're going to be looking for over the next uh, week, week and a half to try and determine probabilities of each of those two scenarios.
0: It does, I think, increase the probability though that that 38.5, 38.4 low was probably V low for now.
2: Yeah. And like I said, if if we were going to, you know, reject and it would it would likely have to form an equilibrium that then breaks bare, but uh, there's no sign of that right now. So uh, it's almost like a, a sigh of relief. You know, we get a just a, a recycling of all right, people taking profit from the ETF. And then of course the downward pressure based on the shuffling of these ETFs, and now uh, just a a really nice bounce. And just keeping the daily EMA 12 as our guide. I love simple statements. And if the bulls can keep holding daily EMA 12 every time it's tested, there's nothing to worry about. And so that's my guide. If we're going to set a weekly lower high and tighten up through February, we have to lose that daily EMA 12.
0: Yeah, I actually, I mean, I generally just look at ranges and stuff. But on the daily, I kind of was sharing the idea of this pennant with the flagpole here. I mean, it's as classic as it gets with charting, consolidating around the 50 MA there. And so this pop to me, I mean, I really, to me, I do think we're going, usually I'll get the target. I think probably that lower high, if I had to guess, I know that shows a slightly higher high, but uh, I think, yeah, I think we're going to go like 47s, 48s here, and then we'll see. But that's kind of the target I have on this breakout. I mean, if you take that flagpole and take the measured move, you do get about 49.4, but you know, that's right at those highs.
2: Yeah, just keep an eye on volume. I mean, the volume, this is uh, Coinbase up right now, but it's been trending down over the last couple of weeks, which makes sense, you know, all that volume that was coming in uh, because of the ETF and all that. But uh, that that is going to be key for me, volume to help us determine those probabilities.
0: Yeah, right when ETH—I um, just happened to be looking through my charts. Right when ETH happened to be starting to look good against Bitcoin, it got just absolutely smashed down once again. ETH cannot move when Bitcoin, like against Bitcoin. If Bitcoin goes up right now, it just takes all sucks all the air out of the room.
2: It's struggling. Yeah, it's it, it gets these nice hard fast pops, but the follow through in terms of trends, you know, uptrends, it's just not there yet. Yeah,
0: I totally agree. So, what else are you looking at?
2: Uh, so on the same thread, just coin, uh, this is just a good example of previous resistance acting as support. And I know you're keeping an eye on this level as well, but 116, 114, look at that range where weekly bear flag confirms zero follow through perfect back test. I mean, the bottom of one fourteen fifty one is right off of that level. And now it's just a question of, can the bulls turn this around? They certainly have work to do key resistance, one thirty six seventy, but but uh, certainly a nice back test initially. Yeah, I, I love that chart. As That's far as the altcoin space, yeah, uh, I'm keeping an eye on XRP as a potential laggard. It's getting a little falling wedgy. It's been underperforming massively. Again, I don't care about the fundamentals. I'm just here for the technicals and the trading. And so if Bitcoin were to continue to keep control, you know, same thing, same same concept. XRP is tightening up on the daily. And right now we can say this is the tightest it's been on the daily in months. That tells us keep an eye out for a break of this range, for some volume volatility to uh, kick in here. And so just worth keeping an eye on, we would have to see XRP BTC do something because it's been nothing but fading ever since the court stuff was going on back here. So uh, that's got a bottom and that's got to do something, but just worth keeping an eye on stocking that trade to see if it can shape up a a nice bounce. God,
0: that community just takes such a beating. Imagine like you get the best news you can possibly get. And then that's just the top of a beginning of a downtrend it's
2: It's wild it's you know i i the the off from the spike isn't that surprising but for it to be this persistent for months and months and months that's pretty brutal
0: brutal what else you got there
2: still keep an eye on msos uh we're shaping up the potential for daily consolidation here i see we have an inside bar that just broke bear to start today and now it's all about uh 978 and so if you have been watching this sector and wanting to get in it's patiently waiting for weekly consolidation and i'm having deja vu in this sector with the bitcoin etf where we get you know the fake announcements and all that because we keep getting you know my sources from the government say a big announcement from cannabis is coming and you know i don't doubt that that's true but it's well is it is it this month is it this week it's the same thing and so you know if it doesn't happen this week then i anticipate that that will lead to some weekly consolidation but there's tons of space for a weekly higher low so if you've been waiting to get in Uh, weekly consolidation is a good time to be keeping an eye out for an entry.
0: Yeah. For that higher low and the retest sort of that other high over there on the left.
2: Yeah. Yeah. There's lots of space. Weekly stair steps, seven weeks in a row. Uh, Consolidation, inevitable eventually. So keeping an eye out for it. Perfect. I see. One more. more. So obviously the semiconductors on absolute fire is NVDA. It's a new all time high today. Uh, The key for me with the perspective of the broader market, uh, is when we top out, and we are definitely getting towards a, a spot here where we're keeping an eye out for a temporary top, but the key is, do we then rotate into IWM, ARKK, these growth names to keep the broader market healthy, or do semiconductors consolidating on the weekly lead to the entire market consolidating? That's the next big clue of information that I'm looking for in terms of you know gauging the broader market as a whole. Uh, so you know we're not done yet. We're still going up, but keeping an eye out for that top. I got a turkey flying on my roof as I'm trying to talk here. Keeping, keeping an eye out for what? that top to uh, to potentially be shaping up soon into weekly consolidation. And what where does that money go when weekly consolidation takes place? That's the question that I'm looking for an answer for.
0: Not into turkey.
2: No, I've, I've got eight of them right out here right now. And, and one of them just flew on the roof.
0: <laughs> That's awesome, man. I need some turkeys on my roof. I'm, I'm slacking over here, man. Well, thank you for all that, uh, all the insight as usual. And I can't, I, I, now I'm just so closely watching what's happening with marijuana, which I never did in the past. I love it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, just just wait until, the, I mean, we need the headlines, but uh, it's exciting. You know, it's fun. It's, we'll see what comes of it.
0: Yeah, man. All right, guys, everybody follow guys. Check out his channel, of course. You know the drill. And that's all uh, I've got for you guys today. Thank you. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow with the Friday 5, 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Dan, have a good one, man. Thank you, guys.
2: Thanks, Scott. You
0: too. let